Good morning, Epiphany. How we doing today? Come on, y'all are quiet. How we doing today, Epiphany? Thank you, guys. How we doing, Epiphany? Good. It's so, so good to be here with you uh, around the throne of our King, Jesus Christ, this season that we get to, this Advent season that we get to uh, celebrate the, uh, the birth of our, our Savior and really gather ourselves around the word of God. Make no mistake about it. There is no other tool that the Lord uses to grow us and to mature us like the word of God. That is uh, the one thing that he uses to make us to look more and more like Jesus. Speaking of the word of God, uh, I do want to encourage you guys to be here next week as we um, get to sit and, and hear the preaching of um, my, my pastor and spiritual father, Dr. Eric Mason, I want to encourage you guys to, to come out next week and bring somebody with you. If you have never heard him preach his, uh, his ministry, he has a strong voice in, um, in my generation, our generation, and uh, I think the Lord will use him next week. Listen, I'm eager to preach, so if you want to go ahead and just grab your copies of God's Word, meet me in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 is where we'll be. That music was sounding good. I just want you to sit up here and keep playing. I don't know if it's the music or the hair that just flows. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. Um, Colossians chapter 1. As you guys are turning there, uh, let me just give a shout out to my boy John Hayden that's here. John, if you could raise your hand. Let's thank God for John. <laughs> Amen dear friend of mine from Crossroads Christian Church in Evansville, Indiana. I was with them uh, a few months ago and got to spend time with them. They're a partner church of ours, and uh, John is here. We had a management team meeting this Friday and just discussed some things that's going on for 2017. Uh, and so he flew in with some other people to uh, be a part of that. And I'm just grateful for him and his wife and uh, his son and their expected uh, son that they're, oh, I said son, daughter, their expected daughter that they're having. So grateful for them. Um, yeah, amen. All right, Colossians chapter 1. Listen, we have been going through a, a series on Advent and talking about uh, the arrival of a notable person. This person is Jesus Christ, um, and it's been good. It's, it's been funny because we haven't, we haven't really gotten to a, if you will, Christmassy passage in terms of the birth of Christ. Last week we were in Genesis chapter 6 and talked about uh, the depravity of man and the sinfulness of our own hearts and really tried to birth in this room a, uh, a deep need and a deep desire for Jesus Christ. We need, I mean, after you read Genesis 6 uh, and look at the, the wickedness of our hearts, we realize that we need that baby in a manger. Uh, but the, the question that's on the table this week is, who is that baby in a manger? And that's what I want to spend our time today uh, devoted to, and that's defining who that is. If you've been with us and with our church for any amount of time, you'll notice that we have uh, we went through the entire book of Colossians. We went through all four chapters uh, when we first started. This was, that was the first book that we did. But I have felt drawn over the last two weeks to dig back into a couple of scriptures in Colossians chapter one, primarily for the reason to define who Jesus is. We celebrate Christmas and sometimes we don't even realize who the baby in the manger is, and I think we all can agree that there is something just unique about this Christ. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, there is something unique about this baby that is born that was different than anybody else. So I'll be in uh, verse number 15. If you could pick me up there, we'll do 15 to verse number 20 today. 
Verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. Make a note of this and for him. Verse number 17. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Make a note of this phrase as well. Making peace by the blood of his cross. I want to preach from a topic today entitled, Who is this baby? Who is This baby, let us pray. Lord, we do desire this morning to know Jesus more, whether we have trusted him years ago or five minutes ago. uh, Nevertheless, we always need to be focused on who Jesus is. Would you give us ears this morning to hear and eyes to see Jesus more clearly this morning? Would you crystallize not just who he is, but also the role that he should play in all of our lives? We're in desperate need of him in this season. I pray that you would help us to see him as central. Uh, So do that for us. It's for his fame that we come together today, and it's in his name that we come before you. In Christ's name, let us say amen. Amen. Who is the baby in this manger? My text this morning is, uh, at least my topic this morning is uh, posed to you as a question that I hope that you would ponder this morning. Uh, We all view Christmas differently. Right. All of us view Christmas differently. Children view Christmas as a time of um, candy and trees and presents and toys. And uh, teens view it as a time to be off from school. Adults view it as a time for for us to repent of overspending and going further into debt. Uh, Businesses view it as a time to deplete the current inventory and to uh, raise prices and make a profit. Mercy Ministries view this as a time that we get to serve uh, the less fortunate. And over the last several weeks, I have seen all of this play, play itself out. I've seen mangers. I've seen candy canes. I've seen Mary. I've seen uh, Joseph. I was down in Little Italy, and they had a whole display of a ba- baby Jesus in the manger. I've seen uh, wise men. I've drank eggnog. I've had Christmas cookies. I've seen trees. Uh, but one of the things that has been discouraging this season and really every Christmas is the Christian's lack of ability to be able to engage, particularly their non-believing friends, about who that baby in the manger is. We just celebrate the festiveness of Christmas and don't celebrate who Jesus is. And like I said in the beginning, all of us must come to the conclusion that there is something unique about this baby. I mean, think about his birth. The astronomy decided to line up to say where his birth place was, his location was. Wise men come and fall to their face and worship this infant. King Herod was threatened, so every two-year-old male boy in in Bethlehem, he was looking to kill. Something unique is about this child, and my hope and prayer this morning, and the only focus I have this morning, is to focus us in on who is that baby, what makes him unique, what makes him Different, And I, we talked a little bit about it last week, but this week I like to focus in a little bit more. Pick me up in verse number 15. The first few words say, he is, talking about Jesus, the image 
of the invisible God. This is a very consistent biblical teaching all throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament all the way to the end of the New Testament. What we have consistently seen is that God is invisible. Nothing in Scripture shows us that. I told you last week, John chapter 4, verse 24, that says God is a spirit. Told you that there was times that he revealed himself and saying, hey, I have a face or I'll stretch out my hand. But the truth of the matter is he does not have a face. God of the of the creator of the universe does not have a face, does not have a hand. This God is invisible. First Timothy chapter one, verse 17 says the king of the ages This is what it says about God. The king of the ages, immortal. Listen, invisible, the only God. First John chapter four, verse number 12 says no one has ever seen God. And so the scriptures are very clear that the Old Testament and the New Testament are consistent, that God is invisible. Now, there were times in the Old Testament, particularly, that he showed himself in different ways. Moses is standing at a a bush that's burning and not being consumed. That is God showing himself in what's known as a theophany. He's not revealing who he completely is, but he's showing himself through a burning bush. Moses also asked God in Exodus 33, Lord, let me see your face. What does God say? No man can see my face and live. He puts him in the cleft of a rock and lets him see his aftermath. And so there was theophanies. It's almost like a movie trailer. Before you actually see the movie, you watch this trailer to see what that movie is about. And Jesus, God has showed us that in the Old Testament. But what we see with Jesus The scripture now tells us in verse 15 that he, Jesus Christ, that baby in a manger is the image of what that invisible God looks like. Everything you want to know about God the Father, we look at Jesus Christ. And in looking at Jesus Christ, we get to see exactly who God the Father is. We get to see his love. We get to see his kindness. We get to see his grace. We get to see his mercy. We get to see his wrath. We get to see his anger. We get to see what God the Father is like by looking at the Son, Jesus Christ. There's another word in verse number 15 that I'd love for you to pay attention to. He is the image. Now, you might be in here saying, well, I'm made in his image, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 Let us make man in our image. And so all of us in here in this room could easily say, well, Jesus is no different than me because the scripture says he is the image of the invisible God. But I'm in the image of God, according to Genesis 1, 27. But what makes Jesus different than you and I is that we're made in the image of God by our ability to be creative, our volition, our are able to reason and to think and to build. We're able to be creative along those lines. So, yes, we are made in the image of God. What makes Jesus different, though, is that Jesus isn't only made in the image of God in the same ways we are that I just said, but he's also made in the image of God morally. That's different than you and I. How is that different? You guys were in here when I read Genesis chapter six last week. Every intention of our hearts is set on evil continuously. Our image has been distorted in Genesis chapter three through Adam and Eve. And so Jesus Christ is made into the image of God, not made into the image. He is the image of the invisible God essentially, but he's also the image of God morally. Meaning God is, look at Isaiah 6. Don't have to turn that now. If you're writing, you can take that down. Isaiah 6 shows how holy God the Father is. 
I mean, angels are swirling around just clearly saying one word, holy, holy, holy. They're pointing to the holiness of God. Jesus Christ, that baby in a manger, gets to reflect the image of God, not just essentially, not just Jesus' ability to create and think, but also he, he is the image of God morally. That is completely different than you and I, and you may be in this room saying, well, I'm not a sinner. Romans chapter five declares that you are a sinner. In fact, it uses a, a, a great word in there that you can you can play with it in the Greek and the Hebrew if you want. It says all and all means all. No matter what language you try to define all in, all means all. And the scripture in Romans five says all of us have sinned except for Jesus. So Jesus is able to be a representation of what, what God the Father is. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus Christ has made him known. In fact, if you translate that word, he has made him known. It's a lot of words in the English, but it's one word in the English. And if you tra translate it, the meaning behind he has made him known, talking about Jesus making God the Father known, it's it, the, the meaning behind it is really where we get our English word exegesis from. Exegesis is a preaching term. Every week I stand before you, I try to exegete what the text says. That means I try to bring out, I don't try to add anything new. I don't try to create anything. I don't try to be creative in the text. My job every single week is to get before you and bring out what the original intent of the author of Colossians. What did Paul mean when he wrote Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20? I want to exegete that. I want to bring out the meaning of that text. But what I love about he has made him known, what that is saying is that Jesus Christ is the exegesis of God. Jesus Christ makes known what God the Father is like. So it's clear God is... He is invisible and Jesus Christ is not. But when it says image, it's not talking image like a photo. This isn't this isn't some type of image to where we don't get to. We don't actually get a real clear picture of God. It's just like a photo. That's not what this is. In fact, you know, my when I went to Texas a couple of weeks ago, preached at a church and my youngest son went with me and everybody kept saying, man, to my youngest son, man, you look like your father. Man, you look like your father. You look like your father. But my, my youngest son would have never said in the middle of them saying that he would have never said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. That would have been weird. Let's let's just be honest. My, my youngest son would have never said, I and the father are one. He would have never said that. But Jesus Christ is able to say that about him and his father. In fact, let me just read it to you. John chapter 14, verse 8 through 10 Philip says to him, this is what Philip said. He said, Lord, show us the father. And what did Jesus say to him? Have I not been with you long enough? If you've seen the father, you've seen me. My youngest son would have never said that. They'd say, oh, man, you look just like your father. You've seen, you've seen my father? Well, you've seen me. No, there is something different and unique about the image that Jesus bears. It doesn't just speak to look alike, but it speaks to deep relationship. God, the Father, and Jesus Christ are one. They bear the same image. Why is he able to bear this image? Because Jesus is God. 
Let's not get it twisted and think that he was born and he's just a man. If he's just a man, he shouldn't have went to the cross for you and I. Why? Because he wouldn't have been able to live up to God's standard. God's standard, I say it every week, is perfection. Jesus Christ gets that. He's able to live up to the standard of perfection. Why? Because he is God and only God can live up to that standard. Let's keep going in verse number 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I was sitting on my porch one Saturday and, uh, you know, this is Jehovah, we- uh, Jehovah Witness Mecca. I mean, the Dumbo is the headquarters of Jehovah's Witness uh, here in Brooklyn. I was sitting on my porch and some Jehovah's Witnesses were coming by. It was two guys and they came by. I was sitting on the porch and they came by and they started to talk to me about uh, about their religion. And I don't dismiss those moments. I don't you know, I don't know how you do, but those are opportunities that you can share the gospel. I mean, I know we're like, man, it's Saturday morning. I don't feel like it. But this day was nice outside. I'm sitting outside and these guys come by and they say, start talking to me. And I say, well, listen, man, talk to me about Jesus. So I just start asking them. I don't rush to tell them the gospel. I start asking them pointed questions about Jesus. Who do you think Jesus is? Define for me the person and the work of Jesus. What was his role in the New Testament? Define all of that to me. Well, they opened up Colossians 1 and they took me to Colossians 1 verse 15. And they said, well, listen, Jesus is not fully, he's not a God. He can't be a God because he was created. So I'm like, well, what do you mean? Took me to this verse and they said, well, he's the firstborn of all creation. Literally said out of their mouths, Jesus was the first person ever born. I'm like, that's what you got out of that text. But this text doesn't tell us today that Jesus is the first person ever born. In fact, that wouldn't even be accurate. Genesis 4 shows us that Cain is the first person ever born. So you don't have to, I mean, this isn't no deep, you don't have to be a theologian. Genesis 4 is clear. Adam and Eve were created out of the dirt. They had a baby. His name was Cain. He was the first person born. So I'm like, well, I'm confused by you being able to say that Jesus is the first person born. What they were doing is reducing the personhood of Jesus Christ. They're making him merely a man. But Jesus Christ is not merely a man. What this text is saying, when it says he's the first born of all creation, it's not talking chronological order. It's not talking time. It's talking rank. It's talking authority. So in other words, when the text says he's the first born of all creation, it's saying out of anybody that's ever born, Jesus is the greatest. Let me show you that in the text. This is what it says about David. God said this about David in Psalms 89, 27. I will make him, listen, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. David was not the first king. So if you use the logic, well, firstborn of all creation means he was the first person ever born. Then you have to apply that to Psalms 89 and say that David was the first king because it says that he is the firstborn, the highest ranking of the kings. But he wasn't the first king. In fact, he wasn't even the first king of Israel. Saul was. So what this is saying is God is saying David is the greatest of all earthly earthly kings. Does it again in Exodus chapter four, verse 22. Here's what it says. It says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. Listen, Israel is my firstborn. God is not saying that Israel is the first nation because that's not accurate historically. Israel isn't the first nation, but he can say Israel is my firstborn. He's saying that's my chosen. Out of ranking of nations, Israel is the greatest. 
And so when it says at the end of verse 15 that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, it's saying he is the head of creation. He is the ruler of creation. He is the king of creation. He's not merely a man that was just born. How can Jesus be the head of creation? How can Jesus be the ruler of creation? Verse 16 tells us how. Do you know how he can be? Because he's created everything. See, you can rule over something when you've created it. Look at verse number 16. It says, for by him, please note this word, all things were created. Notice the verse doesn't say some things were created by Jesus. It doesn't say half of the universe was created by Jesus. Do you see that in the verse? If you have that in your Bible, circle that word, all. All things were created by Jesus. If all things were created by Jesus, that means no one else has any right to claim anything being created by them. Jesus created everything. So when you look at the stars tonight, Jesus, the baby in the manger created those stars. When you look at the deepness of the ocean, the vast, the big nature of the ocean, Jesus, that baby in a manger created that ocean. When you look at mountains and deep valleys, it leads us to know that Jesus Christ has creative rights over all creation. He created everything. Let, let me come down your, your, your street because you may be disconnected and saying, you know what? The mountains, I can see he made that. The stars, I can see he made that. How about you? You were created by Jesus Christ. Let me take this a, a step further. The womb in which Jesus came through out of Mary, he created. The manger that Jesus laid in as a baby, he created. Now you're saying, well, how did he do that as, as a infant? Well, Jesus Christ, the scripture is going to say that he's before all things. And so, yes, in his incarnation, he puts on flesh to come do the job that you and I could not do, and that's live up to the righteous standard of God. He's able to come and do that. But before he incarnated and put on flesh, he already was. So Jesus Christ is able to be the creator of everything. John 1 verse 3 says, all things, I love this verse, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, what that, I love that because John is covering all bases in John 1 verse 3. He says, all things were made by him. Oh, and by the way, without him was not anything made. I love that because it, you can say, if it says all things were created by Jesus, we can say, well, that wasn't, that wasn't. But then John says, oh, but without him, nothing's made. That baby in a manger is unique. He created everything. He's able to do that, which means to us, if he created everything and he created you, your little situation you're going through is minute when you think about the king that's over your life. We stress out over stuff. Y'all heard the sermon that I preached on anxiety. We stress out over stuff as though Jesus Christ sitting on the throne, as though he's not the king of all creation. Did you know this? I don't know if you knew this. If you didn't, I think you should know that there's over 800,000 cataloged insects in the world. Jesus created each one of them. I was watching this story on CNN. It was about this vault in Norway. And in this vault, it contains every seed that's on the earth, every single seed. 556 million seeds in total are in this vault in Norway right now. Jesus Christ created every one of those seeds. 
I keep pressing this point to you because I don't want you to sit here and walk out and go, well, he, has, he hasn't created everything. No, the scripture said all things were made through him. That baby in a manger is unique. Now, this is interesting because it's going to go on to not just show us the physical nature of what he created, but we're now going to look at the sphere in which he created. He didn't just create the things that we can see, but it's now going to tell us things that are even unseen were created by that baby in a manger. You guys are right. You guys walking along this, this verse with us. Verse 16 says this, for by him, all things were created. Here's the sphere in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and all things were created for him. Notice something here, that sphere. It says visible, invisible, thrones. Many commentators will say that right here, Paul is talking about the angelic world. And so, yes, he created the chair you're sitting on, the coffee you sipped on when you came here. But he also, that baby in a manger, also created even the angelic world. That's the archangel Michael, that's Gabriel and their host of angels. Let me go a step further. But that's Satan and all of his fallen angels as well. Even Satan himself was created by Jesus, not created as the outcome of what we see through our lives. But he's created good and he was he what there was no sin within heaven until after Genesis 1 31 don't want to get off track even Satan himself has to march at the orders of Jesus Christ does that not give us joy does that not give us especially if Satan's wreaking havoc in your life listen he's under the control of God Jesus Christ God the son Jesus Christ so everything was created by him and so so far we've seen that he's the source so far we've seen that he's the agent but now verse 16 is going to tell us that he's the goal of creation. He's not just the agent. He's not just the one that created, but he's the one that everything was created for. Look at verse number 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities. All things were created through him. Here it is. And for him, everything was created for that baby in a manger. He is the goal. And so your career, your degree, your money, your time, all was created to bring Jesus Christ glory. How much of us, how many of us can honestly say that my money is created for Jesus to get glory? We spend our money on so many other things. We spend our money on ourselves. But the scripture tells us that not only that, but your gifts and talents, the things you're good at, are created to bring Jesus glory. He's not just the source, people. He's not just the agent, but he's the goal. He's the, he's the beginning and the end of that thing that you are uh, doing in your life. And so Jesus doesn't want just some of you. Jesus wants all of you. And your greatest fulfillment in life, your greatest fulfillment is when you're satisfied in Jesus Christ. That's your greatest fulfillment. It's called, John Piper will call it Christian hedonism. You're, you are most fulfilled when you're satisfied in Christ Jesus because he is not just the source, but he's the goal. Let's keep going. Verse number 17. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Let's deal with the first part of that. And he is before 
all things. Remember I said that he's able to create all things because he was before all things. Remember when Jesus and the Jews were talking in uh, John chapter 8, and they're talking, and, and the Jews, and Jesus says to them, to the Jews, he says, your father Abraham wished that he could see my day. He saw it and was glad. What did the Jews say? But you're not even 50 years old yet. How can you claim to have seen Abraham and you're not even 50? What is Jesus' response? Before Abraham was, I am. In other words, before Abraham was a twinkle in his father's eye, Jesus Christ says, I already was. So yes, he wasn't in the incarnate form. He was not in the flesh, but Jesus already was. According to what Jesus is saying in John chapter 8, he's before all things. But look at the rest of verse 17. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. Note the present tense word there, hold. It does not say in Jesus all things held together. That would be cool if we saw that, but no. Right now, it's a present reality that the entire universe, the heavens and the earth, are held together right now because of that baby in a manger. Because of Jesus Christ, everything holds together. He's the agent. He's the goal. But we see here that he's the glue of all creation as well. And so if Jesus stops being Jesus, the sun will melt. The moon will come crashing down. Our everything that you know exists would melt away because Jesus Christ isn't on his post. Jesus is on his post. He's the sustainer of all life. This is not a past tense. This is a present reality. And when it speaks of him holding it together, think in your mind right now as we're sitting in here gathered as a local body worshiping Jesus, he's upholding the sun right now. The Jesus that, that's, which is crazy, the baby in the manger, even as being a baby, was able to uphold the universe, was able to hold everything down. So how is this podium holding up? It's not holding up by melted metal and glue. It's holding up because Jesus is on the throne. Don't get that twisted, Jesus. The earth isn't some cosmic wind-up clock. That he just winds up and then lets it run by itself. When my kids were younger, we had this swing that we would put them in. I, don't, I have no clue what they have nowadays. They have so many cool gadgets for infants. But when I, was, you know, when I was parenting infants, we had this swing. And we would wind it up, put our child in, and buckle the child. And it would literally just swing them. We didn't have to swing them. In fact, one time I put it in and buckled one side and forgot to buckle the other. I, I don't, Man, this is bad parenting right here. I buckled one side, forgot to buckle the other. I went in the room. I came out. My son was like swinging by one arm in the swing. I wound it up and just let him go. The earth isn't like that. Jesus did not wind up the earth and sit back and let it run on its own. No, he's holding it together right now. Okay, let me come down your lane one more time. He's holding you together right now. Some of the stuff you've been through, you should be plumb crazy right now. You shouldn't have been able to walk in here on your own two feet. Yet, because Jesus Christ is on the throne and sustaining all of life, you're held together right now because of Jesus Christ. So he's the goal, but he's also the sustainer. He's the glue. Hebrews 1.3, I love this. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Here it is. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's upholding all that you and I know right now. He's holding it down. There was a company in South America that um, 
that bought a printing press from a company here in, uh, in the U.S., true story, a firm here in the U.S. And so they bought this printing press. They had it shipped there. And the guys at this South American uh, company started to try to put it together. They put it together but could not get the machine to work, could not get the printing press to work. So they sent a message back to the manufacturer. Hey, you have to send your best guy because my printer, my printing press doesn't work. The manufacturer saw the urgency of the note, and so they sent their very best guy over. When he gets there, before he even begins to work on the machine, this South American company sends another note back to the manufacturer and say, hey, send somebody else. Your guy is too young. He just looks too young. They sent a note back and said, no, he's the perfect person to fix it because he actually created that printing press. That's Jesus Christ. All in your life is able to be fixed and sustained because Jesus Christ created all of the world that we know. Verse 18 brings me joy. It should bring you joy as well, and I'll tell you why. Verse 18, the beginning part, he is the head of the body, the church. Can I tell you why that's such good news? Because I know me. If I was the head of the church, this thing would run down. It'd burn down. But Jesus Christ being the head of the church is good news for us. Not just this local body. Yes, he's the the senior pastor at this church. Yes, but not just us in this room, but all believers, all of the body of Christ is connected because Jesus Christ, verse 18 says, is the head of the church. All All of our marching orders, we are able to get through to Jesus Christ. The body can't do anything without the head saying do it. Not only that, but a body can't drown if the head is above water. And yes, as imperfect as the church may be, we have a perfect head. And because the head is perfect, the body will be okay. The scripture tells us here, God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the head of the church. It's such good news that I'm not. And so this takes pressure off of me. Let me tell you, the Pope is not the head of the church. No, no matter what the Catholic Church says, the Pope is not the head. The elder board is not the head of the church. The deacon board is not the head of the church. The lead pastor is not the head of the church. If the text tells me he's the head, everything else is body. And so that gives us comfort. That gives us good hope because our total dependency is on a perfect head, which is Jesus Christ. I love this mortar, this. Uh, metaphor that's used here, the body, because when it speaks to the body, what it's showing us is that the church, the local and the universal church, all believers connected, is a living organism, not some dead organization. The church is a living and breathing organism, and we are, we are molded together, and we get our movement through our head, which is Jesus Christ. Look at the B part of verse 18, and he is the head of the body. I hope you're starting to understand more of who that baby in the manger is. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. Here it is again, the firstborn of the dead. What this text is not saying is the same thing I said before. This text is not saying he's the first person that was ever raised from the dead. That would not be true. Multiple people in the Old Testament were raised. In fact, Jesus Christ himself raised three people already from the dead. He raised the son of the widow of Nain, he raised Lazarus, he raised Jairus' daughter. At this point, Jesus has already raised three people from the dead. Once again, when it's talking about the firstborn of the dead, 
It's saying out of everyone that was raised from the dead, Jesus is unique. You know why he's unique? Because everybody that was born, I mean, everyone that was raised from the dead died again. But Jesus' tomb is still empty. In fact, in a couple of months, I'm going to jump on a plane and head to uh, the Holy Land. I'm going to spend 10 days in Israel. What I do not expect is to go there to find a body in Jesus' tomb. I just don't. I expect to go there, fall to my knees, worship Jesus at an empty tomb. And I'm able to do that because I know places like 1 Corinthians 15 is true. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. This means the firstborn of the dead means that out of everyone that was raised up, Jesus Christ is highest in rank. Once again, it's showing us rank. It's showing us authority here. Romans 8, 11 says, he who was raised from the dead, I love this verse, he who was raised from the dead will also give your life, give life to your mortal bodies. The same spirit, if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, you and I have no hope. Can I promise you, if I go to Israel and I go to Jerusalem and I see the tomb and Jesus' body is in the tomb, I'm never preaching from this again. But I don't expect to see that Jesus' body will be in that tomb. Why would I never preach from this? Because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, you and I cannot be raised. But the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead will raise us as well. He's the firstborn of the dead. Out of everyone that was raised, Jesus is unique. Baby in the manger. Yes, we worship and we make a lot of noise about the baby in the manger. But 33 years later, he will go to a cross and die and be raised up. On our behalf, I love the end of verse number 18 because it says a word that I think it's important for us to define. It says he is the head of he says he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. I'm in verse 18 that everything that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent simply means surpassing all others. Jesus Christ surpasses all others. Like, think in your mind of the person that you think is, I mean, he's a role model. She's a role model for me. They're just a great person. They seem like they have it all together. Jesus Christ is preeminent. He surpasses them. That baby in a major surpasses everything. It points to the centrality of Jesus Christ, which is why we make a lot of noise about Jesus Christ. Because Not because we have nothing else to preach, not because we have nothing else to sing, but because Jesus surpasses everybody else. He is preeminent. And if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He must be Lord of everything. He must be preeminent. He must surpass not just anybody in your life, but he must surpass everything in your life. Jesus Christ is preeminent. There's a word that's used in verse 19, verse number 20, that I think is important. Let's keep going. For in him, here it is again, all the fullness of God. I don't know if you notice how many times all was used. It was used in verse 15. It was used in verse 16 twice. It was used in verse 17 twice. It's used now again in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This word reconciliation here is important because the fact that Jesus used, the fact that Paul uses the word reconciliation here, it lets us know that our relationship with God was broken. You don't reconcile stuff that's not distorted and broken, but you reconcile things when things have been disconnected. Our relationship with God, if you were here last week, you heard us go through Genesis chapter six. 
Genesis chapter 6 shows us how disconnected we are from God the Father. Every intent of your heart was set on evil continuously. And so we have a disconnect with God. But the scripture says, Jesus, that baby in a manger reconciles all things. Most people don't think of themselves as enemies of God. But because of our sin, that is exactly what we are. We are enemies of God. We're enemies of God by our action. We're enemies of God by the mere fact that we are born sinful and he's not. He's not sinful. Read Isaiah 6. And so because he's not, we needed reconciliation. And Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger, brings reconciliation. Do not spend this Christmas season just thinking about presents and gifts. You must spend this Christmas season Thinking about that one in a manger brings wreck. He's the one that bridges the gap between sinful man and a holy God. In fact, the rest of the verse is going to tell us that. Verse number 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. Here it is. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Remember when I said that baby in a manger, 33 years and 33 years later is going to die. When he goes to a cross, did you hear what the scripture says? It says he makes peace. And so the violence that we have because of our sinful nature, Jesus Christ, the baby in a manger, makes peace between us and God the Father. I don't know what you've came in this room with. I don't know what baggage you've come in this room with. I don't know if you've trusted Jesus. I don't know if you've trusted him, but don't fully understand who he is. The verses we just went through today shows us that he's unique. He's different. He's fully man. He's fully God. And we must submit our lives to him. If we do not, him making peace by the blood of his cross doesn't make sense to you. If you haven't trusted Jesus, there's no peace between you and God. And you need to know that. Listen, I, if you came in here and I did not tell you that, I would not be a good pastor. If I say, hey, listen, man, just go out and, you know, live life however you want. And, you know, it'll be OK at the end. No, it will not be OK at the end. You need that baby in the manger. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Some of us in this room have never experienced real peace. We have no clue what real peace looks like. And this Christmas season, as you gather with your families and you gather with people that may not know Jesus, I hope in prayers that you would be able to define to them who Jesus is, that he's fully God and he's fully man. And because he's fully God and fully man, it makes him a perfect sacrifice. I told you last week that he had to be fully man because man owed the debt. So he had to, he didn't come in any other way. He had to come as a man to stand in our place. Jesus stands in your place condemned. Condemned with what you should have been condemned with. Then he goes through the agony of the cross. That cute baby in a manger goes through an agonizing death where they literally rip the flesh off of his body to where his bones is exposed. They rip the very beard out of his face. And he endures that for you. 
And if you haven't trusted him in this room, that same wrath remains. This isn't scare tactics. I really, really desperately want you to trust Jesus today. And if you have trusted him, don't spend this Christmas season running up your credit card. Don't spend this Christmas season going into debt to have a good Christmas. Don't spend this Christmas season with non-believing family members that do not know Jesus and just simply sing Christmas songs. But my hope and prayer is that this season you give your life in a way to Jesus as a believer and a non-believer. As a, a non-believer, give your life to him and trust your life totally to him. As a believer, let him be central. Let him be your all. He's preeminent and let him be that. Let me pray. Father, truth of the matter is, we don't know you outside of Jesus. We have no hope outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and yes, we spend this time talking about the incarnation and the birth of Jesus Christ. But the truth is, even Jesus knew his mission. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And so this Christmas season, I do not want us, Lord, to go through the motions every year. Some of us are depressed. Christmas isn't a good time. Truth is, we need you, Lord, because with you, there is no depression. With you, there is no such thing as a bad Christmas. I mean, I get the gifts we want, but we got the greatest gift. That's your son, Jesus Christ. Help us live our lives for him and help him to be preeminent in our lives. Say it every week, Lord. Don't let him be a check off the list. Don't let us do our Jesus thing and be, go on with the list. Lord, make us uncomfortable until he's central, until he's every part of our activities, every part of what's on our plate, our jobs, our families, our relationships, may he be central in all things. And may this season be a reminder to us that your grace, John 1 tells us that Jesus came in full of grace and full of truth. Help us to remember that because you didn't have to. Could have came in full wrath and full judgment. Could have came in full anger. But you did. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, in grace and truth. And we thank you this morning and remind us that during this Advent season. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.